I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Tricia Reynolds is the Intergenerational Coordinator and Correctional Administrator, also an LC, LCSW. And Tricia, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about mothers in our prison system here in Utah. How, how do they parent or attempt to parent while they're incarcerated? Can you share with me anything about that? Yes, thanks, Amanda. Uh, there's a really wide range of how the moms in our state prison Uh, interact with their children. Some of them have really positive relationships with their children and really frequent contact. Many of them are involved in day-to-day parenting discussions and decisions with their child's caregiver through regular phone calls or visitation. So that's the most positive outcome. They can speak every day? Yeah, so all of our housing sections have several phones in the section, and so our incarcerated individuals are able to use those phones for 30-minute phone calls, and the only constraints are they have to pay for those phone calls. Uh, We try to keep the cost reasonable, so it's about 11 cents per minute. But some of the moms do spend $1 to $200 a month on phone calls if they're calling home Mm. very regularly. Do you know how many female inmates are mothers in Utah? Yeah, we have about 400 total women in our state prison on any given day, and around 70% of them are parents of minor children. Of minor children. So a lot. When you talk about, so they have regular phone calls daily if they want, how often can they see their children in person? So we have two forms of visitation. We have a video visitation, which we began during COVID, and we will continue with that because we have found it to be a really helpful alternative for many families. So video visits can happen Monday through Thursday. And then we have in-person visitation options Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Hmm. What about if the children are grown, if they're uh, over 18? Yeah, children over 18, um, same thing. They can have the same routine of visits, either the video or the in-person visits. What, what makes the difference in your observation, Tricia, between mothers who maintain good relationships with their children and mothers who don't while they're incarcerated? Yeah, well, I think all the mothers want to. Really, the biggest um, barriers that I've seen are where the children are with caregivers who may have had um, conflict in the past with the mother. So maybe they're living with a grandparent or an aunt and uncle or a dad that may be separated from the mom, and there's been history of maybe domestic violence or, you know, frustration over the mom's substance use. And so those things tend to create barriers for the mom's ability to have visitation or regular phone calls with those children. Mm. 
Is um, is separation from their children the hardest part about being incarcerated for these mothers? 100%. I asked a couple of the moms what they would want me to share with you when we spoke, and they all just said that, that exact thing. This is the most painful part of being incarcerated. And, you know, they say we deserve to be here, but our children don't deserve this separation from us and how hard it is. Oh, what did they tell you anything else they wanted you to share with me? Um, One mom described like uh, not being with her children feels like her heart is shattered inside of her chest. Um, The words they shared with me were just really emotional and, and painful. And it's definitely the hardest part of being in prison without your kids. Mm. What, is there anything we can do to help them? Well, I think just awareness that, well, first of all, there are so many children in the community that are impacted by having children in prison. The national average is about one in 14 children have had an incarcerated parent, which is a pretty large number and something I wasn't personally aware of before I was in this role. So I think being aware of these children in the community and in the places where children are served and maybe asking those questions about if this is something that's touched their family and helping give some additional support and resources. It's not something that children and families really tend to share um, openly because it's a point of shame and sometimes embarrassment for kids Mm -hmm. if they have an incarcerated parent. And then I think just the understanding that Everybody wants to be a good mom, and these people are not in prison because they weren't good moms. And the importance of trying to maintain those relationships and contact and um, supporting that if you're in the position to do so. That's beautiful. I, uh, you know, I didn't even think that I should have asked you th- this, that I'm, I'm, I was particularly interested in mothering, but do all of the same access, all the, do, does all of that apply to fathers too? Yes, it does. And we have a lot more men in our prison system than women. Um, The women are about 15% of our population and the men are about 85%. Um, We don't have exact data on who exactly is parents, but we have reason to believe that the men maybe have a smaller percentage of being parents of minor children, but there's still obviously hundreds of fathers. So they can still do the same phone calls, visitation, all those things. Yeah. Do they go, do the women go through, or the men, I suppose, uh, go through any kind of therapy while they're there that might help them with their relationships with their children? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, our dads have access to an amazing parenting class that is taught by Utah State uh, University volunteers. It's geared specifically towards dads. We are working on getting a similar curriculum up and going for our women so they can have that same sort of parenting class and support. We also offer a maternal mental health therapy group for moms who are pregnant or have recently given birth. And so they can have some peer-to-peer support and support of our mental health clinicians and some doulas from the community actually come in and help us with that group to give additional, additional space and support for that difficult time. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, I don't have any other questions written down, Tricia. Is there anything else that, that you'd like to share with me? I think we covered it. I've appreciated being able to talk about this and share their stories with you. Oh, no, I appreciate you, Tricia. Thank you, and please thank them. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. 
More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin, and my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, will find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.